Hey, welcome. Um, thanks for coming out today. And uh, thanks for sharing your Mother's Day with us. I know many of you have uh, plans and many of you have uh, family things. I know a lot of our people are out um, doing things with their mom. And I just want to say thank you so much for choosing to spend some of your time with us today here at New Life. We're in Matthew chapter 13. Uh, beginning of verse uh, 1 is where we'll be. And I want to, while you're turning there or finding it on your digital device, uh, I want to say happy Mother's Day to my mom and a woman that uh, had an amazing influence on me. Uh, my mom is an incredible lady. And uh, I would not be where I am if it weren't for her. I would not be who I am uh, if it weren't for her. I might have hair if it wasn't for <laughs> but, uh, but I'm so thankful that God gave me the mother I, that, that uh, I've had for over 84 years. She's been on earth. She hasn't been my mom all those 84 years. Um, that would be weird. Um, but I'm so thankful that God blessed me with my mom. Love you, mom. And uh, I'm thankful for my wife and the mom she is to our boys. And uh, happy Mother's Day. All right, Matthew chapter 13. We're talking about the parable of the sower. This is the third week we're in, that we're into this message. And I want to briefly review a little bit of what we've talked about to give you uh, an understanding of where we're at. But first of all, I want to read this passage. We're going to read verses, uh, start at verse 1, and uh, you'll know when we're done. All right. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Such large, large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down while the whole crowd stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. Still other seed fell on, the good, fell on good ground and produced fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown. Let anyone who has ears listen. Then jump down to verse 18. So listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. And the one sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root and is short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now the one sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this age and deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But the one sown on the good ground, this is the one who hears and understands the word, who does produce fruit and yields some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty times what was sown. We're coming at this parable, which is usually talking, a parable that is talking about evangelism, about getting out and sharing your faith, what, uh, what the Franklin Graham uh, ministry is all about, the Franklin Graham crusade that's coming up. And usually it's come, out, come at from the, the standpoint of being an evangelist and going out and, throw, and, and scattering seeds. But I, as I studied this more and looked at it and read and really prayed about it, I realized that the true heart of this sermon, of this parable, is discipleship. It's not just evangelism, it's discipleship. I think it's very um, telling that as Jesus tells this, this story, that three out of the four seed are not fruitful. Three out of the four grounds are not fruitful. Only one out of the four is. 
I think that every one of us can find ourselves in one of these soils, and we'll see that as we go along. I think every one of us can find ourselves falling into the category of one of these four soils. And that's the challenge of getting into this and reading this and, and digging into it, finding out where you're at. And I think what's more appropriate for us as a church, after we figure out where we are in these soils, is what are we going to do about it as a church? What are we going to do about our people? We are a community. I love our church. I love New Life Church. I have since I was a teenager, since my dad was the pastor. I love this church. I love this ministry. I love you. I pray for you. My passion and desire is not just to reach them out there, those who are lost and without Jesus. It's to see you fall in love with Jesus as well. One of the, not one of, the greatest thing for me to see as the pastor of this church right now is all the people that are getting it. All the people that are just on fire right now and are involved in ministry. That's when a church grows. I can't wait. Now, the, uh, the new members class, uh, you'll notice that there was some a difference, right? On the, on the screen, it said March uh, May 19th, and Aaron said May 26th. That's my fault that I didn't communicate with that with Jonathan in time to change the slide because I had to change the date because May 19th, we're going to have some key people gone and they wouldn't be able to be here. So we had to change to May 26th. I know it's Memorial Day weekend, but we're also going to do it because it's Memorial Day weekend. We're going to do it in June as well. So we're going to do it very quickly back to back so that those of you who may be gone that weekend uh, will still be able to get, in on, get on it. And by the way, this is the way that you join our church now. Okay, you join our church through going through the new members class, and we'll explain all that to you, but that's, that's the importance of the new members class. But I, I love seeing people involved. I love seeing people grow in their faith. I love seeing people excited about their church. It's incumbent upon us as a church that we understand that everybody in our church falls into one of these four soils. Not everybody, just because they come to church on a Sunday morning, is a good ground Christian. Some people are rocky soil. Some people are thorny soil. And some people are the very first ones. And they haven't accepted Christ as their Savior. They're, they're the wayside. And it's our job as Christians to love them along the way so that they'll find that relationship with Jesus. Reaching our community with the gospel is a team effort. And so it is with reaching our church with the truth of the word of God. It's a team effort. It's our role, it's our responsibility as a church to not just be here and not just have a building and not just have, an event, have events for people to draw them in. It's also to help reach them and grow them. It's our responsibility as a church to grow each other. We are, the people are the church. The building isn't the church. The people are the church. Now, some of the things we talked about, the responsibility of the church, the role of the church in the Great Commission is, first of all, to make disciples. Remember, disciples are followers with a purpose. Then we said it's uh, another, the second part of our role is to equip and train believers. Then we said it's to provide and explain and even manufacture opportunities. We're not going to take any time to talk about that. We've talked about that a lot. And then to support our members in every aspect, every phase, every stage and step of life. Then we talked about 
some facts about discipleship. If you remember, we said that everyone needs to be discipled, right? Every believer. Listen, you may, you may not even agree with that statement, and if you don't agree with that statement that everyone needs to be discipled, then you're a prime candidate for discipleship, <laughs> right? Seriously, if you don't think you need to be discipled, guess what? You need to be discipled, right? Um, Aaron and I took a drive uh, last week. Was it last week, I think? Last week, and we, uh, I download, I finally, I finally downloaded the podcast app on my phone so I can listen to podcasts. I'd, I'd go back and I'd search it. Anyway, um, I'm old, you have to excuse me, okay? Um, and I downloaded uh, Ravi Zacharias. And I've been telling Aaron about Ravi Zacharias. He's like my, my teacher. I love listening to this guy. And I finally put one on while we were driving and she was listening to him and, and she was like, wow. <laughs> Yeah, he's, uh, he's good. He's pretty deep, yeah. It's very, very good, very good stuff. And that's how I get discipled. I listen to men that are much, much smarter than me. It's not that hard to go, not, not that far of a trip to take, but I listen to people, men who are much smarter than me, women who are much smarter than me, and I listen to their teaching, and that helps me to grow and become better because discipleship is a lifelong process. And every one of us needs to be discipled. We have this view of discipleship that it's just, let's sit down and take this 10-week course and then we're done. No, man, discipleship is a long, long process. It's a life, I should say, it's a lifelong process. So I said, also said this, a church's health is not found in its financial bottom line or its attendance numbers. It's found in the depths of its members and their active spiritual growth. That's how you know you've got a healthy church. Listen, you can have a wealthy church, but not a healthy church, okay? You can have a wealthy church, but not a healthy church. Some people try to buy their way out of serving God. Okay, I'll give God my money so somebody else can do my work. Oh, man, I would rather have, I would rather have people actively involved in ministry than have people that are just giving money and not doing anything in the church. Also said that an effective discipleship program is easily accessed, easily followed, and readily available. It's user-friendly. We actually want people to get involved in it. As I said, we're revamping our discipleship program now because we want it to be user-friendly. Right now, it's an 18-week commitment, and we want to break that up into smaller chunks, different lessons that are more accessible and are more philosophically aligned with what we're, what we're doing, and that are just easier for you to commit to. It's much easier to commit to a four-week process now and then one later on as you're ready for it than it is to commit to 18 weeks. And we said an effective discipleship program reaches all believers where they are at their level of understanding. And this parable of the sower is a parable about spiritual growth and individual effectiveness. Now let's go ahead and jump all the way down. We started talking about the wayside soil. Wayside soil, we're going to review this real quick. Who are the wayside soil people? They are people who have not yet accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. The Bible says that the seed is scattered onto them, and it finds no root. We talked about a lot, that a lot last week. It doesn't find any root. Satan takes it away. It doesn't mean these people are hopeless or helpless. It means that we need to continue to reach out to them, continue to be there for them, continue to do what we can to love them to Jesus. In other words, we need to be salt and light. Okay? Then we get into the second 
kind of soil. And we got halfway through this. And if you remember, if you were here last week, we stopped at a certain point. I said we'd pick it up. Review real quick. Rocky soil people. Who are these people? They accept Jesus and follow for a while. They even get involved and start learning. So these are people who accept Christ as their Savior, and they start down the path of discipleship. They get involved in ministry. They get involved in church. They, uh, they learn the worship songs. They learn the, the whole thing about church, and they, and they start moving forward. But what's the issue? They become offended or discouraged because of the struggles of living the faith. And can we not all identify with that? Seriously. We're going to give you some verses here in a minute about what we can do not to offend other people. Because many times when we, when we see young Christians come in, especially in smaller churches, we start piling on them a list of rules and regulations. Some of us grew up in churches where rules and regulations were what Christianity was all about. And you didn't measure your spirituality by your spiritual depth. You measured your spirituality by how well you followed the rules and regulations, right? If I did this, if I did this, then I'm a good Christian. Man, you could be as shallow as a rain puddle, spiritually speaking. But boy, you followed the rules. That just doesn't make any sense. And what happens with people that are shallow spiritually is something comes along and they get offended. Or they hear something about sacrificing and giving or, or getting involved, and they get offended because they're expected to do this, that they're something that they're not ready to do, and they fall away. And we lose them. The changes, the sacrifices, and commitments that are, that are required cause them to quit. I shared with you 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and this is where we left off last week. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. There is a change that comes about when you become a believer. There is a change in your spirit. There is a change in your soul. Your destination for eternity changes from hell to heaven. But that verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, which we throw at young Christians so often to say, listen, you're supposed to change, is talking about a process of change. It's a process. It's a lifelong trip. A, a, a better way to say this is the old is passing away. The new is coming. It's like your kids going through school. They're not going to be able to read Huckleberry Finn or War and Peace in first grade. Right? Even with a master's degree, you're not going to be able to teach that. Right? Congratulations, by the way. Danielle graduated with her master's yesterday. Yes, give it up for Danielle. Something I will never do. <laughs> we allow kids to grow in the education system. And we expect them to make progress. But we allow kids, if we're, if we're good teachers, if we're, if we're good parents who are truly concerned about it, we allow kids to grow at a pace that they are able to grow at and learn at. Why don't we translate and transfer that same mentality to young Christians in church because we want to force them right into it because we need people. We need bodies. Come on. We need people. We need volunteers. We need people to get involved. You, don't, you, you, you have no idea how many animals Moses took onto the ark? Get it? Get it? That was Noah. 
That was Noah, not Moses. Right? Right? But hey, it doesn't matter if you know Noah in the ark. It doesn't matter if you, know, if you knew that Moses was in the, the baby in the, in, the, in the reeds, in the basket covered with tar. You don't, it doesn't matter if you don't know those things. We need you in the kids' ministry. We need warm bodies. You can read the story, right? Come on. Why don't we allow people to grow into it? That's the, most, that's, that's the way we should approach it. So that now brings us to the next part. How do we reach them? How do we reach the rocky soil people who are being overwhelmed with this whole growth process, who are finding themselves just kind of going out of their minds because it's just too much to take in because they're just being poured on and poured on and poured on. But the first thing we have to do is this. We've got to support them. We've got to support them. They need to know that they're not alone. They need to know that they're not alone. How many of you have ever gone through a dark time in your life? Ever gone through a dark time, man? I think all of us have gone through dark times, right? All right, now you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, but how many of you ever had to go through a dark time all by yourself? Oh yeah, man. That is one of the worst, it's horrible. It's horrible having to go through a time of struggle and a time of difficulty, a time of personal crisis with no support whatsoever. Shame on us at New Life Church if some of our members have to go through dark times by themselves without us reaching out and supporting them. If we see one of our members who is becoming overwhelmed with the walk, is becoming overwhelmed with church, has become overwhelmed with what the, the Bible says, and they're just having a struggle with these things, shame on us if we don't reach out to them and help them. Listen, one of the, one of the clashes we are having right now in our church, and I'm trying to be so conscious and aware of this, is the clash of culture and the clash of generations. When I was growing up, um, I have three older siblings. Jeremy's mom is my oldest sister. Donna's six years older than me. Susan is five, and David is three years older than me. I was born in 1962. They weren't. They were born in the 50s, which made them children of the 60s, right? That made them, they were teenagers for the most part um, at the end of the 60s into the 70s. For those of you who haven't watched CNN the 60s or the 70s, that was a tumultuous time in our culture. Is it tumultuous? Yes. It was a very difficult time. Stormy, right? A lot of, a lot of conflict. And in families, there was conflict. And the, the big catchphrase back then was the generation gap. Generation gap, right? Well, we might call it something different today, but it's still there. It's a generation gap. And our church experiences it. I will be 57 years old this year. I'm, thanks. Wow. Wow. Thanks, Lewis. Yeah. Hey, that new members class is on June 3rd. <laughs> All right. Um, my wife is not that old, by the way. She's much, much younger than me. Um, but I see my, my oldest son and his cohorts within the church and I struggle to understand that generation. I, I'm serious. I, I love you guys to death. I truly do. I love you guys to death. I love your energy. I love your excitement. I love your passion. 
I truly do. Emma is one of my favorite people in the whole world. I love Emma's sense of humor. She gets my jokes about four seconds late. It's like we're on a, it's like we're on a time delay, right? I love that generation. Right? But, but uh, it, and my wife, my wife is, is 13 years younger than me. That's a big difference. And I don't, I don't get everything because everything was so different when I was growing up. It was just so different. We, we still used rabbit ears on our TV when I was a kid. And if you don't know what tinfoil is used for TV reception, you have never lived. Right? And if you, were, if you were the youngest, you get to hold the rabbit ears so that everybody else, can, everybody else can watch TV. You can't. Stand right there, Johnny. Can I have a cookie? For crying out loud. All right? But I know this. There are clashes. A lot of the clashes of the cultures is what they've learned and what they've grown up with. This is an entire generation that has been, that has been raised from birth believing in, in or, or being taught Totally different morals than were taught when I was growing up. Totally different. They're, they're, taught that, they're taught evolution as a fact. When I was in school, it was the theory. Now it's, and they'll argue, and I mean, it's like, okay, okay, we can sit down, we can have this conversation. But we're going to have to have the conversation. We need to have the conversation. And we can't be afraid to have that conversation. That's how we address some of this. Listen, I don't have to agree with you on everything. And you don't have to agree with me on everything. But we at least need to be able to be civil enough to have the conversation. And agree to disagree if we have to, but continue to stay together and work together for the cause of Jesus Christ. Because we're stronger together than we are apart. And even though I may disagree with this generation, and no, I shouldn't say disagree because I really, it's your, it's your generation, it's your life. I don't disagree, I just don't understand it. And even though I may not understand this generation, I still need to let them know and they need to understand and feel that I have their, that they have my support, that I'm here for them, that I will help them through whatever struggles they're going through because this is the key. I may not understand what they're going through, but the word of God does. And the word of God will help them in any situation. And if I don't have the, the integrity and if I don't have the change in my pocket when that conversation comes around to have credibility with them, then we're not going to be able to have that conversation. So folks, we need to support each other. It's one of the reasons I'm so transparent about my life. I've, I've been through divorce. I know what it's like. Right? I've been there. Cheryl's my former sister-in-law. Right? I've been through that. I don't like it. I'm very thankful where I'm at now because I have an amazing wife and two amazing boys. But it is absolutely zero fun to go through something like that. I know that. So I need to be able to support those who are going through something like that. These people need to know that we support them. We're here for them. The second thing they need is encouragement. And we'll reach them with our encouragement. We help them. We lift them up. We give them a pat on the back when they need it. 
We let them know that they're doing a good job. You're doing well, man. Listen, you, you may not have been incredibly, you may not have been totally successful, but you're more successful now than you were then. So you've grown. Look at the progress you've made. Look at the progress you've made. Um, you know, teaching a kid how to, how to play a game. At least this time they know that the characters, the, the little characters go on the board and not thrown across the room, right? They're making steps. They're making progress. We encourage them. They need to know that there is a path through their struggle. And it may not be your favorite thing to do. But folks, I'm telling you, we need to be transparent. We all have a story. And what you don't understand about your story is this. Your story, while it is your story, is the story that will help somebody else through their time and help them write their own story. That makes sense. So we need to encourage. Then we need to make connections. Not only do they need to know that they aren't alone, they need a friend or two. They need a friend. Sometimes people will come to church and they, they might come in late and they might leave early and there's no connection there. That's why, listen, I've had, I've had church... Um, there, there are people that their actual job is to go around and critically critique a church and tell them what they need to change so they'll grow more. You know what was told to me? That we need to stop the handshaking. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, thanks for, the, thanks for the fact that it was, your advice was free because I wouldn't pay you for that. <laughs> no way, man, no way. Here at New Life, you don't get away with just sitting there by yourself, Right? We're going to force you to shake our hands. That's right. That's right. We're going to force you to shake our hands, whether you like it or not. It's like, take, it's like taking the cough medicine that we had to take back in the 60s. None of this cherry-flavored stuff. None of this grape-flavored stuff. We took the real thing straight from the nasty whatever it was that the, the pharmacist made. But we're going we're gonna to make you Shaker, we're gonna, we're, we want you to feel welcome. We want you to feel like you're a part of the service, right? We want you to feel like you're a part here. And we want to break down that wall so that you feel comfortable enough to talk to us so that we can develop a relationship with you because our tagline here is relationships build churches. And we believe with all, I believe with all my heart that the closer and the stronger relationships we build here, the stronger and closer our church will be and the more effective our church will become. So they need to know that they have a friend or two. They need, we need to make connections. And we need to pray. Not just say we'll pray, we need to pray for each other. We need to call out each other's names in prayer. If you can't remember somebody's name, you can remember where they normally sit, <laughs> right? God, you know those people that sit in the second row right in front of you. Okay. I don't know their name, God, but I'm praying for them. And you can visualize. We need to pray for each other. And what we don't do, the last one, what we don't do, we never judge. We don't judge people. We don't judge people. Judging is for American Idol, <laughs> not for New Life Church. We don't judge people. We say here that uh, truly everybody is welcome to come to our church. Everybody's, everybody's welcome. I don't, care, I don't care what your past. I don't care where you are. I don't care about any of that because Jesus doesn't care. He wants to have a relationship with you. Therefore, we don't judge people. You know, we're just happy that you're here. 
Back when we had 19 people, we would have loved to have a crowd this size. Okay? So we're just happy you're here. And while you're here, we might as well love on you a little bit. Might as well talk to you. Might as well get to know you. Might as well shake your hand and, and offer you a coffee. And hey, while we're at it, we might as well give you a little bit of the gospel, right? And then we might as well want to live that in front of you so that you can learn about that. And, and my gosh, if you make a mistake, get in line because I'm the one at the front. I screw things up all the time. Why do you think they don't let me back? They're going to put a sign up up there by that sound booth. Pastor John, do not enter. Seriously, you don't want me near that thing because I will mess it up. They don't let me near power tools because our insurance only covers so much. Right? Seriously. We want to get to know people, so, and we want people to be successful. We want them to grow. We want them to be happy. We want them to come to know Jesus. We want them to grow in their faith. We want them to find out what that's all about. We want them to know that Jesus wants the best for them and wants to give them a life they could never imagine. He wants to give them hope. If that's what we want to do, why in the world would we judge people? Why would we pick at them and tell them that they're, they're doing something or they're this, that, and the other? Why would we criticize them all the time? It just doesn't make sense. Never judgment. They don't need your negativity. How else do we reach them? Here we go. Early intervention. Early intervention. Gabriel and Michael, when they went into the foster care system, they were put in early intervention. They were in the early inter intervention program. And they, they went to daycare, and they had a specialist that came and, and analyzed them and worked with them and, and helped them with any delays, anything, uh, anything that they needed that was keeping them from growing and becoming um, little boys on the right track of growth and health and education. Well, that's the same philosophy we need to have here, and that is what is behind our discipleship program, it's early intervention, right? We want to get people connected right away. Listen, if you're a new believer or if you're coming back to faith and starting to grow in your faith, you've been saved for a while and you're just starting to grow or you're just starting to get impassioned about learning about Jesus, let me tell you something. Why we want to get involved early in your spiritual life is not so that we, we don't have any ulterior motive. There's no agenda here. This is exactly why. Let me tell you, this is from the pastor, the guy that runs the show here, okay? This is why we want to get involved in your spiritual life early, because Satan isn't going to give you a break. He's not going to give you a time of, of saying, okay, this is free time. You got three months to get it together. After that, I'm going to come at you hard, but I'll give you, no, 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 no. Go back to the first soil. Those people heard it, and immediately they had questions. They didn't quite understand it. What happened? It's not that they went away to think about it. The Bible says Satan stole that word out of their hearts. He doesn't want you to grow. He is your biggest impediment to your spiritual growth. He will give you every excuse in the world not to be here on Sunday, and he'll give you even more not to be in, in part of a Bible study. Why? Because he does not want you to go. He wants you to be, even after you've accepted Christ, he wants you to be rocky soil. Or he wants you to be thorny soil. Because he doesn't want you to grow. Church, that's what he wants to do. 
He wants to steal away and he wants to overwhelm and keep our young believers and our growing Christians away from opportunities to grow. He's not going to give them a break. So we need to be involved in early intervention. We need to get involved with them spiritually as quickly as possible. And keep, in, keep giving them opportunities to grow. Encourage. What does this mean? It means, hey, man, we, we give them a phone call. Say, hey, want to get together? Can, am I going to see you in church? Can we meet for coffee? What's your kid's name? What car do you drive? Can I borrow your truck? No, just kidding. (laughs) We want to get to know people. We want to get involved with them early and start talking to them about Jesus and talking to them about growth and and getting involved in opportunities to get involved in studies and and maybe share with them. Oh, I know. this This is a touchy one. Maybe share with them your struggles in growing in your faith. Some of you that it didn't click with right away. Or maybe it did, and then you walked away for a while, and then you came back, and maybe you walked away again and came back. And now it's just really taken root. And that's what they need. They don't need to hear wonderful platitudes about lemonade and lollipops and flowers and roses in the Christian life, because that ain't what it is, man. It's a tough struggle. And they need to know through early intervention Basic discipleship, not deep theology and rules. Basic discipleship. What does it mean to be saved? Here at this church, we believe in eternal security. Once you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are his and he is yours, and that can never be taken away. And I'll challenge you with scripture on that. John 10, 28 through 30. Jesus said, you're in my hand, I'm in the Father's hand. Nobody can ever take me out of that. Romans 8, 35 through 39. What can separate us from God's love? Nothing, not even you. Man, we, need the, we need people to know that so that every time the, uh, the plan of salvation is given, they're not feeling guilty saying, oh, I've, I've got to get saved. No, 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 no. Once you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you're saved. Now, when you feel that tug on your heart from the Holy Spirit, that's not saying I need to get saved. That's saying I need to get things right. Or I need to start growing. I need to make a deeper commitment. I need to to get to know Jesus in a more personal way. That's what they learn. 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2, Therefore rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up into your salvation. Look at that last phrase. So that you may grow up into your salvation. Even Peter tells us that that, that the discipleship process, that becoming a Christian and growing is a growth process. Grow into your salvation. Grow into the understanding. Growing into the power. Growing into the knowledge of it. Growing into effectiveness in your faith. We need to be willing to let them grow. Acts 15.10. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? Disciples said themselves, we couldn't handle this. We couldn't handle all the rules and regulations of the law. Why do we want to place it on other people? Why do we want to make them feel guilty all the time because they don't measure up? That's not grace. 
Then Romans 14, 14 through 16. I know and am persuaded of the Lord, in the Lord Jesus Christ that nothing is unclean in itself. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one it is unclean. For if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy by what you eat someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered. You know what Paul is saying there? He's saying this. If you intentionally through gossip, through your actions, through what you do, through how you represent yourself, through the way you treat others, if you intentionally cause people spiritual harm, shame on you. If you intentionally, because you have a, you have a problem with an issue. You know, I'll, I'll make it something kind of silly, but if you're a baseball fan, maybe it's not, okay? The designated hitter. Right? Everybody know what a designated hitter is? If you don't, just kind of shake your head and go along with me. Okay? Designated hitter is used in the American League, the junior circuit. Um, and it means, it means that the pitchers are prima donnas, and they don't have to hit. All they have to do is be able to pitch. So they can throw at a guy and have no retaliation whatsoever. Okay? And they don't have to be a complete baseball player. All they have to do is pitch. Now... In the man's league, the National League, where the two-time defending Dodgers play, okay, their pitchers have to hit. There's no designated hitter. In fact, a designated hitter doesn't even have to, he doesn't even, why buy a glove, right, Lewis? Why buy a glove if you're a DH? You don't have to play the field. Man, you can go eat chicken during the in-between innings because you don't have to go out in the field. Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah, turkey but, so see, like I said, a kind of a ridiculous, kind of a ridiculous argument, right? Um, but there are passionate people on both sides of that. It's baseball. It's a game. Come on. Let's not get, let's not get crazy here. Okay? It's a game. But we bring that kind of passion to things we believe in our faith and in our church and, and between churches and between what you do and, and how the versions of the Bible you use and, and uh, what music you listen to. Oh, Lord, let's not talk about music. And, and, and how long a man's hair can be. You know that the high school I graduated is no, is no longer open anymore, but if I was like I am today in high school and that school was still open, I wouldn't be able to go to that school because your hair can't be a certain length but you also can't shave your head in the world. So it can be too short? Come on! You see the silliness of it all? That's what Paul is saying. Don't be so crazy in your faith and things that work for you that may not work for other people that you start arguments and you overload people and say you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, and you cause a dispute and somebody walks away and they never get involved in church ever, ever again because you offended them away from Christ. That's terrible. That's not silly. That's terrible. That we lose people over silly stuff like that. Listen, I use the CSB. That's what I preach from. I don't really care what version of the Bible you use on your own. You know what I care more about? That you read the Bible. Read the New Living Translation. Read the King James. Read the NIV. Read the ESV. Read the CSB. 
Read the M-O-U-S-E. I don't know. Right? Just, just, just read the Bible. Just read the Bible. You know why? Because Jesus himself said, my word will not return void. My, the word of God says that if you take it in, it will be nourishment to your spirit. It will put flesh on your spiritual bones. You'll grow. You can't go wrong with reading the Bible. So I don't really care what version of the Bible you listen to, you read, or listen to, right? Mike listens to, listens to it all the time, right? A lot of people listen to it. I put it on when I was on my prayer drive last night. I put it on the, the car through the Bluetooth, and I listened to the Bible while I was praying. That's great. You just need to read it. Those kind of, the kind of music you listen to. Man, if you're a Gaither fan, listen to the, it's good music. If you're a rocker, listen to the rock. Third Day, my heart is broken that they don't, they don't make albums anymore, that they broke up. Love Third Day. Uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman, you know, Hills, if you're a Hillsong person, if what you love is worship, great. Listen, what I care about is that you're listening to good Christian music and you're not filling your mind and your heart with the garbage that's out. Yes, I did. I said the garbage that's being put out there. My sons come home singing some of these songs from school and I threaten their lives. <laughs> you're not going to Havana with anybody. Okay? Seriously. Right? You know what I'm talking about. That's not talking about going to have a cigar down in Cuba. I don't want my seven-year-old boy singing that garbage. I don't even want to listen to it. I think it should be outlawed in elementary school. Just kidding. Okay? I don't want that. Why? Because the Bible tells me to fill my mind with good things, not with things that will tear me down, not with things that will erode what the Word of God has built up. So I, don't, I really don't care what style of Christian music you listen to. I'd just rather hear you, have you listen to Christian music. Brazilian pop, whatever, I don't know. Portuguese, Portuguese, right? Just listen to it. If it's Spanish, whatever, man. Just make sure you're filling yourself with the word of God. And those are the kind of things that if we don't encourage that we overload people with these lists of rules and regulations that may apply to me but aren't really what applies to you, then we're going to lose people. And we don't want to lose people. We want to keep them. We want them to grow. And listen, Hey, Jonathan, just keep that slideshow for next week because we ain't getting any farther today, okay? I had it all prepared. He said, are we going to have to change this next week? I said, maybe, but we'll pick up the thorny soil next week. Let me give you a brief taste of that. These people, they accept Jesus and follow for a while, but what is their issue? They are distracted by work, pleasure, success, and pursuits other than church and kingdom-based activities. There's something to think about for the week. Are you a thorny soil person? Listen, folks, we are, we're taking our time going through this because this is vital. If evangelism is the heartbeat of the church, and listen to this, if evangelism is the heartbeat of the church, Discipleship is the lifeblood of the church. Evangelism is the heart. It gets life going. But discipleship takes 
the oxygen and the strength and the nourishment to the rest of the body. That's why we're taking our time going through this. And I pray and hope that this is good for you and that you're learning about it. And, and maybe you're finding yourself in some of the things we're talking about. We, we, don't, we really don't mince words here uh, because it doesn't do anybody any good. What we want to see is strong, healthy families, strong, healthy Christians, and that makes a strong, healthy church that can reach a community that is neither strong nor healthy. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that we had to be here. Lord, thank you so much for moms. Lord, for moms who are moms to their kids, moms who are moms uh, in other ways, uh, for women who have stepped in and played the role in other kids' lives who, um, who may just come over and hang out at their house um, and have just loved them like their own. Uh, Father, thank you for those women who have invested their lives in us. I pray that you give them a special blessing, not just today, but every day. Lord, I pray that we as individuals will realize and accept our role in discipleship to help others, but also to be discipled ourselves. Lord, I pray that any offense that was taken this morning, you'll knock that down and help us to see the truth of your word so that we might desire to grow in you. Bless us as we go from this place. Keep us safe and uh, bring us back together throughout this week that we might honor you, glorify you, and build relationships. It's in your name we pray. Amen.